Welcome to the Personal Trainer Collective podcast, the only resource for personal trainers who are fed up with the status quo. If you want to stay ahead of the competition, build a thriving business and have the freedom to work on your own terms, you've come to the right place. Without further ado, let's take your confidence and education to the next level with this week's episode. Welcome back to the PT Collective podcast. We are actually recording this for the second time. So uh, I'm pleased to say, I always forget this because you don't shout about it, Amelia Thompson, Dr. Amelia Thompson. So uh, thank you for coming back on. Uh, I know you've just been to IFS, so you're uh, in that post, what is it, do they call it a conference? But it's not even a conference. What, what would you categorise it as? I think it's class as a conference. Maybe that's an questionable. Event? I think it's an event. event. A summit. It's a fitness summit. Let's go with that. It's fitness. I feel like fitness summit. I actually still own onlinefitnesssummit.com. And I think um, the money just come out of GoDaddy. And I was like, I think summits are dead, no? Uh, maybe. I mean, maybe. I'm not exactly on trend with pretty much anything in my life, so I don't know. You are on trend. I know you're on trend. I see. I've seen you on the on the gram with the reels. You're you're on trend. So, uh, but before we go off, because we always completely go off on a different tangent, can you give us like a three to five minute journey of how you got into this crazy world of fitness um, and what you've done, your accomplishments? Obviously, you're a doctor, um, and then we're gonna go with a quick fire round, which I've tweaked slightly because this is the second time I'm filming this. Okay, sure. Yeah, so I am, first of all, not normally this husky. Um, like you said, I'm on a bit of a post-event. It's either COVID or something else, or just because I'm old and can't <laughs> handle a big weekend. Um, either way, normally I sound a lot healthier. I am the picture of health. Um, so, yeah, I currently am a registered nutritionist and work predominantly to support people with the relationship with food. But my background is kind of different to the traditional PT route. I haven't PT'd since I was 21 and I'm now 35. And I only PT'd in the gym, on the gym floor for about a year and a half. And then after that, I went a totally different route and I was in academia for basically 10 years. I did an undergraduate in sports biomedicine, a master's in sport and exercise nutrition, and a PhD in exercise physiology. And I did my master's and my PhD at Loughborough. And when I was doing that, I, at the time, thought I'm going to work in elite sport. I started working with um, Olympians and thought, you know, I want to work in elite sport. This is my vibe. And the whole time I was doing that, I had my own issues with food. Even though I was educated with nutrition, I didn't really take it on board, like, intelligently or objectively. I knew about nutrition, but um, within my own brain, my mindset, my psychology... I wasn't implementing what I actually knew. And kind of as a result of that, I actually went into bodybuilding because that's what everyone with a disordered relationship with food does. They go into bodybuilding because it glorifies basically starvation and binging. Um, and so that's what I did for four years. I, at the same time as lecturing in sport nutrition at Manchester, in Manchester, I was a bodybuilder. I did pretty well. I came second in Britain and I was quite proud. Um, and then I realised when I was doing that, that nobody at, in the space at that time, so that was 2014 to 2018-ish, something like that. At the time, I realised that nobody was talking about the darker side of fitness. There was beginning to be a trend in evidence-based nutrition, but it, it wasn't that uh, common. And 
So I kind of just started writing blogs about my own experience and started sharing them with no intention to becoming a coach at that point. I wasn't PTing anymore and I didn't, I didn't really have that intention, but then I realised that just I needed to share what I was learning about the darker side of dieting and to try and really help myself, I fell into like a binge restrict cycle pretty much every time I competed and to help myself, I fell into the research around how to support your relationship with food. Luckily I was lecturing so I had access to journals and like intelligent people and uh, started sharing that in the fitness space and saying like these are some of the things that might actually happen when you diet um, and this is some of the things that might actually go wrong if you're following a meal plan and as a result of that people then kind of naturally started coming to me and saying can you help me with x y and z and then within six months of me kind of thinking oh I'll dip my toe into coaching I was having to quit my job because um, I had too many people coming to me and so Unlike most people, I think, I actually really didn't want to leave my job. I love my job as lecturing. I, I, I loved it. But I also knew that kind of I felt like my purpose was to help people in the fitness space with their relationship with food. So that's how I got into my coaching. And, I'm, and since then, my coaching team is kind of, I'm really lucky. I've only been running my business for about four or five years. And I've now got a coaching team of six or seven girls underneath me. We've just taken someone on. Um, seven girls who work underneath me who are all coaches who use my methods. And I also run a nutrition company with Emma Story Gordon that is called EIQ Nutrition. And that is an online evidence-based approach to nutrition that aims to support personal trainers in this kind of much more holistic, compassionate approach to nutrition. Like it covers all the basics of this is what a macronutrient is and this is how you can diet someone. But it also is like, this is what might happen when you diet someone and these are the things you need to consider to stop their relationship with food getting impacted when they do a diet. Um, and so that's basically where I got to where I am now, in a nutshell. Nice. And we actually, I reached out to you, it must have been a few years ago, and I was like, hey, I want to do this nutrition course. And we sat down, We, I think I think you planned like the syllabus and everything, we was getting down the line and then you was like, actually, I'm, I, whatever reason, I can't remember what you gave me, you, 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 you ghosted me. No, you didn't ghost me. You, you <laughs> I love that. When trainers are like, oh, my clients ghost me. Then when you if you coach uh, trainers in their business, then they end up ghosting you like, calm as a bitch. Um, <laughs> and you actually declined after we was going back and forth for a bit. And my probably first instinct was like, swear words. Um, and then my second instinct was, I had more respect for you because it's, uh, I'd, it's, I appreciate people, me personally, of like, you want to do your own thing, you want to grow your own brand and you mm. want to have that ownership on it. So, when you uh, brought EIQ Nutrition out, I was like, I respect that sister. But like, at first, and then I was like, no, so I do appreciate it. But that, that's, people don't know about that. So this is some of the behind the scenes stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And PT Collective will, I won't say never, but pretty much never will do a nutrition course now. And it's, and we do get quite a lot of people um, give us, ask if we're gonna do that. And I just refer them to EIQ now. There are other ones out there, but I don't endorse those. And I don't get paid for any of this. So, uh, Thanks. Thanks you so much. If you are a personal trainer, stuff here. But, well, after <laughs> the quick fire round, we actually are going to discuss what knowledge do personal trainers need to have with nutrition. So we will get onto that, but we're going to get onto quick fire round. Here we go. And I think your answer on this one gives away the, the well, your answer on the previous intro gives us away the answer for this one. Meal plans or macros? Macros. Favourite colour? Yellow. Nice. <laughs> Favourite yoga position? And whatever you say, 
I will Google it and try and and upload it to my Instagram stories. Oh my god! So okay, great. Okay, um, okay. Headstand. Make a note. A headstand. Yeah. Lyra actually asked me to do that in the garden the other day, and let's just say it, it didn't go well. Oh yes, headstand. I can't wait. <laughs> headstand for Amelia. That's going on my to-do list right now. Honoured. Is that your favourite though? Is that the one you just wanted to uh, for me to attempt? Just get do you know what? Real both. Transparency here. Absolutely both. Okay. I was just I was just making a reel just two seconds ago and I was doing a headstand, so it's at the front of my brain. Okay. Yeah, and I've seen you on the gram on balconies doing the headstands. And I know you do like yeah. these little things with your legs and, and I mean listen, I do it because it means I don't have to put my face on as many reels. Like that's my logic. Yeah. It's a good business decision. I'm just thinking like I'm over a hundred kg. They're definitely I, I will have to really analyse the techniques. I cannot be putting hundred kg on my cranium because No. The key is putting most of most of it in your in your Go arms. On. Yeah. You've got yeah. this. You've got this. I may the time this I will I will this podcast goes out on a Wednesday and it'll be two weeks time today. So I've got like two weeks prep work to bust out this headstand. Okay. And I will okay. set her to do to do it on the gram. So when we release the podcast, make sure you head over to the stories because they'll be there for 24 hours. Otherwise, no, they, they will just disappear. No one will ever see this ever again. Um, one food shop per week or two? Two, at least. Probably more. At least. Mm, what's your shocking. You, uh, what's your frequency? Do, 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 you tr do you food shop more than you train per week? Probably the same. But okay. it's quite bad, isn't it? Do you know what? I have different shops for different items of food. And then I like to get fresh yeah. food. And then whatever I've got in the fridge, I eat fruit and stuff. It's gone within two days. You just have to keep going. That's privilege, but so, it's yeah. life. That's it. Uh, pizza or pasta? Pizza. I know the answer. Pizza. It's your favourite food. It is my favourite food. Um, yeah. I can't remember what you said on this. Coke or Pepsi? Pepsi, Pepsi Max. Here's a fact for you. Here's what? a fact for you, nutrition fact. Did you know or did you realise that PepsiCo only advertise Pepsi Max and none of their full sugar drinks? No. So... Do you know the reason? You, yeah, because it's part of their strategy to help encourage reduced sugar intake in the population um, by only advertising the sugar-free options. And I didn't realise that, but it's actually logical and it makes sense because they're doing, they've got different initiatives to try and help with the sugar consumption of people. Yeah. But then they do Super Bowl ads, might, I think it may be Nicki Minaj or other people, and I'm like, yes, I was like, come on now. <laughs> like it's, uh... <laughs> Did you know that Coke actually had cocaine in it? when it first started. Did you know that? I feel like, is that not a vicious rumour? Is that actually true? No, I feel I feel like it, I've, I've seen it enough now where I feel like it's true. Yeah, but where have you seen it? But, TikTok doesn't count. All right, Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing now. <laughs> I know, true. Uh, but I, I'm a Coke Zero plain person, a Pepsi Max cherry. Like Coke Zero cherry's not it. Like Pepsi Max cherry's the one. Yeah, what about Pepsi Max ginger? That's quite nice. No, I don't. Uh, do you, no, 
ginger beer and stuff like that. Just it doesn't. I don't know if I've got something wrong with me. It just doesn't agree with my throat. Like it, it clams up and stuff like that. So I'm gonna. It's not great. Okay, I'll let you. There we go. I, I I will drink a Pepsi Max ginger doing a headstand. Oh, this is gonna be great. That that literally there's a high probability of death there. There is. I can't my wait to see it. Clam up. Hey, hey! At least yeah. if you film it, it could go viral. Could well, yeah. Definitely. Uh, countryside or the beach? Oh, the beach. The beach. Yeah, I thought you were going to go beach. Mm. Chocolate or sweets? Chocolate. Every time. Breakfast, lunch or dinner? Breakfast. Breakfast, I think. Yeah. 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 But, like, realistically, could you honestly go all day without eating until dinner? And not and, and be able to focus and have a good day. But that wasn't the question, Amelia. It was which is your favourite meal. I'm not saying you can only have one. <laughs> oh, damn it. Well, okay. No, I'm going to stick with breakfast. 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 Mm-hmm. What's the go-to breakfast? Well, right now, right now I'm into full-fat Greek yoghurt, coconut, tahini, dried fruit, and then like a bowl of fresh fruit because I went to... Greece like a month ago and I'm just on it. In Greece they have like twenty percent yogurt for breakfast, like twenty percent fat. Wow. It's it's like cement, it's heaven. We don't get that here obviously, but yeah. Like properly like scooping it with a spoon, there's none of that runny shit. <laughs> yeah, and you have like four mouthfuls and you're like, Oh gosh, I think I might vomit. That's the, that's the stuff you want. Another podcast exclusive. I'm half Greek, I'm Greek Cypriot. My mum comes from Cyprus, so there you go. And I do Is like that- Greek yogurt. Is that true? Yeah. I would never have known that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good fact. That's it. That is a yeah, good my fact. Mum's it... name, Parf- my mum's name is Parthenope. Parthenope. That's a great name. Mm. Parthenope. Yeah. That's a great name. Not not when uh, people try to say it or spell it, but yeah. <laughs> but everyone knows her as Pat. Oh. So there we go. <laughs> right, that's the quick five round, which wasn't very quick, but let's go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I love it. No, we, we both we both ruined that. Um, <laughs> me more so. So how much, when it comes to personal trainers, how much nutrition knowledge do they need to know to basically work with gen population clients? Like what what level of knowledge do they need to know? Because it's probably more than the what they t- learn in the level three. But then there's also other nutrition academies or qualifications, which may be a little bit overboard for what they actually need yeah i think i think we have a couple of problems as an industry that makes people feel like either like i think we have two different issues people sometimes feel really like they lack confidence so constantly want to do more and more and more more nutrition to think to kind of feel like they might have enough confidence to work with people and then other people think well i've got my pt qualification so i don't need to do anything at all and that's sufficient and none of that is helpful particularly it's kind of a middle ground between the two. People need to be able to understand and educate around healthful nutrition choices. So yeah, that means like a basic understanding of macronutrients and kind of what a healthful diet looks like. RDAs, um, i.e. recommended daily allowances, like general kind of guidelines that you'd get from the British Dietetic Association, for example, which is like the UK version of like where we can get basic nutrition guidelines. You need to know that side of stuff realistically in terms of need to know that's probably 
that is probably the max you need to know. Alongside that, understanding that because that's all you you know how and when to refer out. If you want to be a really, really good personal trainer and an educated personal tra trainer, then I recommend that you understand more than that. You understand methods of supporting people with fat loss, which is certain, like obviously certain nutrition choices. Um, methods to support people's relationships with food, especially if they are going on a fat loss journey. Um, certain things around women's health that can be quite challenging. So, you know, through the monthly, monthly cycle, what happens to women's or people who menstruate, appetite, etc. Um, so there are more things that I think in an ideal world, PTs would know. But do they need to know it to go into the gym and train someone? No. So I think it depends on how good a personal trainer you want to be. And also, like, your, where your enjoyment is too. I think I think that we overcomplicate the role of a personal trainer sometimes. It's okay to want to be the personal trainer that goes into the gym and, you know, does a session and then coaches their clients but doesn't do anything with their nutrition. That's okay if that if that is you. I don't think it's optimal, but it's it's fine. Yeah, and that was one of the questions we asked previously, which was looking at with ETPHD coaching. I said, do you just provide nutrition coaching? Because I was saying, like, in today's, in the, uh, in the old days, in the old days, when I was, like, 18 on the gym floor, a personal trainer would literally, well, then personal trainer, Simon and Anthony, both, uh, let's say, challenged with their hair growth. Um, <laughs> one was tall, one was short. All the, they, their method of coaching people was the same. People come in, they literally got them to lift their tops up on the gym floor, put a heart rate monitor around them, and was like, feeling fit? And then the person's like, yes, and then just chucked them on the treadmill. In them days, it was more of like, if you want any nutrition advice, like, we're not doing that. Like, we just train you in the gym. You come, if you pay us more money and see us more frequently, then you'll get better results. That was their whole thing. And it's like, you need to go elsewhere. You need to go to a nutritionist, a registered dietitian. It's very much separate for what it is today. Like nowadays, it, and even with your coaching, I, you do the programming alongside that as well, because you hear this whole conversation. It's like, oh, it's abs are made in the kitchen. Or it's like, it's 80% this or it's 20%, whatever way they want to pull it. And it's like, no, you just need both of them. So, um, when it, I think so I think on that front, like it's such a good point that like you get people who are dietitians, often dietitians, not all dietitians, that say personal trainers shouldn't be giving out any nutrition advice that's outside their scope of practice. And there is a definite level of that that is true. Like it's not any nutrition advice, but really prescriptive nutrition advice. It's potentially outside of a scope. So I think it's really important to recognise that. But also on the flip side of that, personal trainers see people and have the ability to impact their health and they see hundreds of people and they have access to hundreds of thousands of people on, online and they're in very good positions on the front line to support people with their health so saying you're a personal trainer you shouldn't be able to give any sort of nutrition advice is ludicrous because we need to be able to support people because we see the most people um so it's 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 frustrating to hear when you hear dietitians saying like pt shouldn't be doing any of this which is why there's like that kind of middle ground of like you want to know general guidance. You need to know like general health and nutrition guidelines, but maybe not the, the super intricate specific stuff. Yeah, just from like an, an insurance perspective, um, I mean, <laughs> you could just ring up an uh, insurance company and go, "I'm a level, I'm a PT level three PT qualified," and I know some of them that just give them insurance. But with the actual insurance, I know with Financial Fitness Limited, they they cover you for in person 
online both training and nutrition as well. Uh, and I remember the, the, when we had the SBS Academy, we, we sort of linked up with them. And it was like, oh, actually, you don't have to do the traditional level two, level three, and be deemed as a personal trainer. If you go through the SBS Academy and you qualify, it covers you for this. Uh, but if you wanted a job in a gym, where they're still very much as in like, you need to have your level two, level three, and that was like sort of the prerequisite. So in regards to a natural, are you insured? And insurance is very, very much a gray area. So in regards to giving advice instead of like prescribing, so it's sort of like, I would advise rather than prescribe. So I suppose that's why your answer was macros rather than meal plans. Um, mm -hmm. When it comes to, nutrition methods you looked at methodology um there's always like it seems like two main camps is the macros or like your meal plan and it, there's nothing sort of in between so it'd be really good to pick your brain that because i i've i've gone through certain stuff and like come up with like the protein semi-track so you track your protein you track your body weight and you're just like eating how you would with your other food sources and if your weight's going down how you want it to go down, carry on. If it's not, then maybe you, you do different types of tracking methods. So what methods would you say are that you've had most success with with gen pop clients when it comes to their their, their nutrition? Um good question. So I would say like half of my clients probably track in some way, shape, or form, whether it be they track to targets, like that I've given them a protein and a calorie target, or they track um, just track without having targets just to encourage them to be more aware of what they're eating I'd say probably half of them track but the goal with tracking is only a short term it should only be a short term strategy it should be to support someone to lose body fat or to support someone to gain muscle or gain body fat depending on what their goals are and then it should be okay let's now take tracking away and work on healthful nutrition it shouldn't be like you know this issue that we've got now is everyone thinks it should be tracking their macros all the time because you see these fitness people and personal trainers some of them and competitors who are just tracking year round and as if that is the way or the only way that you need to do it to get results and even when I was competing I wasn't tracking in off season I knew I was gaining weight so I knew I was in a surplus and I knew I was eating enough protein and we overcomplicate it a lot so and I think some of this also comes from like the scarcity mindset and the fear from personal trainers of if I'm not giving someone macros, what am I doing? They're not going to get anything tangible. So what else can I do? And I think in that sense, it's like, okay, well, let's look at all of the other things that come along with healthful nutrition. You can set guidelines of making sure like that someone's eating protein three or four times a day, making sure that they're eating a carb-based meal before training and a protein-based meal after training, making sure that they have a variety of fruit and veg with each meal throughout the week. Um, and then if you've got someone with maybe who's a bit older or who's maybe got health issues, then maybe encouraging more of a Mediterranean-style diet because we know that that's actually associated with really healthful outcomes and there's a lot of things we can do there. And it can still be quantitative, even if someone's not tracking. You can still be like, right, you're going to eat so example of this would be something I always do with my clients is for optimal kind of gut health we want a variety of at least 30 30 plant-based foods a week that's in an ideal world which is quite a lot but it's quantifiable so you can say to your client right you're going to try and eat 30 different plant-based foods this week keep a tally let me know how you get on next week like that's one tiny tiny little example but if you 
work with your clients quite holistically and they're tracking like habits which is what you want you want your clients to be doing following what we would like call process-based goals rather than outcome-based goals whether they're dieting or not so every day they're saying yes I've done my training yes I've eaten three protein servings yes I've eaten seven different portions of fruit and veggies like they can still be ticking those things off every single day so they've still got tons to do just because they're not sticking it in my fitness pal doesn't mean it's not the same and we know that tracking long term is, is generally associated with disordered habits we don't want it to be a thing so there are so many other options that you can do aside from my fitness pal but i mean or other tracking options yeah uh, i used to um always do like the first two weeks of tracking nutrition so now you said like like but losing weight or gaining muscle but or gaining weight it's just an education as in people actually weighing out and going, I normally put this much in the bowl, but now I've actually weighed it and now I've got that and it opens up their eyes to it. And I, even like the research was like, even dietitians will under track and stuff like that. Um, and I just use it as like a really good sort of education for people to understand that, oh crap, that amount of pasta that I normally eat is these many calories and it's just an eye-opener and as they I always say like when people say if you can't stick to the diet for the rest of your life then it's not the right diet for you I think that's rubbish because everyone's goals change I'm like if your diet that you're currently on cannot get to you where your goal or the probability of you achieving that goal that you may have then it's probably not the right diet for you but I feel like everything changes as you said you could start off tracking then it's like actually now we're going to go to this approach and then if things sort of stalemate or then they want to go on holiday and they need to be a little bit more accurate with it it's, it's never this is your diet off you go it's always adapting based on the the person and circumstances their goals mm. uh, and stuff like that so I feel like it's a, a really big education point of view but as you said like tracking every single day for the rest of your life there's there's a difference and I feel like people just give macros because it's a lot easier then isn't it you don't mm -hmm. have to coach. You're yeah, just it's lazy coaching. In. It's lazy coaching. It like it can be, coaching. it can be useful. It can be useful, like you said. But like I definitely used to do that, and I used to get people to track almost all the time at the beginning. And then I realised actually, for a lot of people who are in larger bodies, especially, or people who emotionally eat, doing like twelve weeks of not tracking will still lead to fat loss. And it's like, like you said, things have started to plateau. Mm. Okay, we've worked on your relationship with food. You've stopped overeating. You've not been tracking now you're in a good place now we can bring in some tracking and get some more fat loss and kind of flipped it on its head because I, I think we often go to tracking first and actually sometimes it's much more helpful to go the other way but like what you were saying about education when I was doing my nutrition masters we had to we were going through all the different types of nutrition tracking options so tracking food diaries dietary recall etc that they'll use in research and even I remember at the time being super educated in nutrition and I weighed my food for the first time ever and I weighed my shredded wheat that I had in the morning and I had 800 calories of shredded wheat in the morning without even realising. And I was like, holy crap. And it's like, it doesn't matter how educated you are. It's so easy just to get, especially in our envi food environment where food is so like highly processed and easily accessible. It's so easy to overeat without even recognising that you're doing it, even though objectively you understand that cereal is maybe calorie dense, for example. So with ATPHD coaching, you state you help people improve their relationship between food and body. And then you put in brackets, not eating disorder. 
So how do you determine, especially when you're working online, if it isn't uh, an eating disorder? Um, good question. So uh, the, like for eating disorders, we have a really strict criteria. The DSM-5 is the kind of medical clinical criteria that we'll use for anorexia, binge eating disorder, etc. And anyone can get access to them. You just literally have to type in online DSM-5 criteria for eating disorders and you can get them. And all of my coaches, when they take on clients, will have a consult call with them. And because we do get people on the spectrum who binge eat maybe quite regularly and they're kind of in that murky water of not getting support from their doctors but not like not knowing what else to do really. So we'll just run through these types of questions on a call with someone and say, well, how often are you binge eating? What's the severity of that? It's usually binge eating disorder that's the one that's most prevalent in fitness as opposed to anorexia or bulimia, but that's certainly not um, negligible by any means. And it's really just about having those conversations and it be, can be quite tough because you know what it's like when you first have a consult call with someone. You, have, you haven't necessarily created that safe space where someone feels like they can be super honest with you yet. So you might say, well, how often are you binging? But they're just so desperate for help that they'll kind of reduce it like, and they'll play it down a little bit. Yeah. But all you can do is really try and create like motivational interviews are a really good trick for this to try and create this safe space where you can get that information from them. And some of my coaches who maybe are, one of mine is a psychological health coach, so she's got a master's in uh, eating disorders and a psychology degree, but she doesn't work with people with eating disorders again because it's outside of her scope. But she'll work with people who maybe have a bit more se severe issues but still don't hit that criteria. And so for her, she'll get a letter from the GP to tick that off to say, that's okay, you can work with her. Which is why it frustrates me so much when a PC personal trainer is saying they've cured someone with bulimia with a transformation picture on social media, which happens all the time. And I just think, this is ludicrous. Like, we've got a team of someone who's who's a psychotherapist in training, someone with a psychologist, a PhD, and we don't do that. So... It's, again, knowing your scope of practice, right? But you need to understand that like eating disorders do have a specific criteria and you have to know what they are, even if you don't know them off the top of your head. With eating disorders, just, just me asking a question out of curiosity, if someone has an eating disorder, will they, will they have that for life? As in, like, it's always going to, like, it will, they just, re like, they may go into a relapse or they've got it under control or, like, it can people actually overcome it and it's, it's not a thing yeah you like. can so i don't know the statistics off the top of my head because they're different for each eating disorder but you can fully recover from eating disorders but there are people who may also well be kind of always living with some sort of disordered relationship with food and sometimes people can become quite functional with it so it, they're kind of in a quote-unquote healthy body they can eat most foods but they still have certain food rules and things like that and to be honest that's where a lot of the clients that we get are people that have recovered from eating disorders but still have those remaining kind of hang-ups that they want to get rid of but but if you get treatment the recovery rate is infinitely higher than if you don't and but the treatment strategies are not always necessarily super helpful and I know a lot of people that have been living with eating disorders for 15 years that still haven't found the right support or strategy for them which is a big shame so you said you've got a team of six to seven coaches now um can we go through the process of from inquiry to first 30 days of like that onboarding experience because i was really impressed on the first podcast we did which obviously no one will ever see 
Uh, so I feel like a lot of coaches will can can get a lot of value from that, and where yours may be slightly different to to others. Sure. So when someone inquires, they generally always inquire to work with me as or like with me personally or as a team. So my website and my coaching pages, etc., have all of the coaches on there to try and encourage like a cohesive brand, and that's one of the reasons that we have the ETPHD method, as as egotistical as my initials are. The reason that it is like that is because people buy into me a lot of the time as opposed to the method and being able to kind of make a method that people are paying for and getting coached by rather than a person can be really helpful when they when I say I don't take on clients because I generally will not take on clients anymore as a whole. So when they inquire to work with me, I speak to every single person personally. I don't outsource that at all to see where they, they, who they will be best suited to with coaches. So each of my coaches have a specific niche. So for example, Steph works with people in the creative arts. Georgia works with menopausal women. So I ask specific questions in the inquiry form so I know like, this person will be a really good match with X, Y, or Z. And I'll contact them directly. But once they've signed, once they've initially done their inquiry form, which is just a type form, once they've done that, they'll get an automatic um, redirection to a podcast that I did about what the ETPHD method is. So it explains what it is, who we work with, the type of problems that we try and solve or we do solve, and maybe like a couple of client testimonials at the end of that podcast. So they already get that before I've even spoken to them. And then once they get referred to a coach, I will copy that coach into an email and I basically pass them straight on to the coach. And as soon as they've spoken to that coach, so the coach will directly contact them. Um, they will also be given a direct link through like Calendly to book a call with them. And as soon as that contact's happened, they then enter an email chain from that specific coach. That is, again, it's usually like a five-day email chain. So each coach is slightly different. Some of the coaches love to do podcasts. Some of them love to do emails. Some of them like have like resources and stuff it's their personalities that however they like to communicate and then they basically enter an email chain of like every day or every other day though that this person will get an email from the coach that is here's a five minute introduction to who I am and how I work within the EDPHD method and then the next day it might be here's a resource that I've made for my clients about how to understand your values because these are really important when we're doing your nutrition so work through your values and then another one might be here's a podcast that I did with the team on some like common problems that people have when they originally sign up so basically what we want is by the time that they have the call with the coach they feel that they've already been seen they feel that they've already been heard and, and understood so we've done a whole podcast recently on these are the 10 things that everyone struggles with when they get started with us. And I actually just took on a client a few weeks ago and she was like, it was like you were reading my mind when I was going through that podcast. And that's what you want, right? You want to basically get to the point where you speak to someone where you've already covered all of their their challenges and their problems and any reservations that they might have for signing up. You want to have that covered. So the, the discovery call or the consultation call, whatever you want to call it, it's really just about getting to know each other. It's not a sales call. It's, I understand you, I want to hear your story. And that's the way we frame all of our consult calls. Is like, tell me your story. Tell me about you, as opposed to, I heard something at the weekend, it was awful. And it was like, um, someone who does sales calls, it was so bad. It's from a business mentor that you're probably aware of. We are. And so basically, we are <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah. And one of his members of staff said, um, if you're not crying, no, if you're crying, you're buying. As in, oh, if you wow. can get them really upset on a call, then they'll pay for it. And that is like the obviously opposite of what you want to be doing. It's disgusting. Anyway, so... My my favourite one, sorry, is... Cool. Um, before I start this call, I just want to know that... Um, 
by the end of this call, I need to know either it's a yes or a no. Um, I don't care which one it is, but will you be able to clarify that before? The, like, just as the, she's setting off the tone straight away. It's like, oh my God. By the end of this call, you've got to tell me yes or no. And it's like, wow. And some <sighs> of the tactics you hear is just like disgusting. So, all of those. Yes. So, the emails they're getting, is this before they've even had that discovery call or the Usually. Usually, so they've been able to book the call. Yeah, exactly. Usually, it'll take a couple of days, so they might get some of them before and some of them after. Um, But when they book, once they've had, then once they've had the call, they'll get an automatic um, email. Again, Calendly loves to set up. Um, They'll get their automatic email that's like, these are all the prices. This is all the structure. You can fill in your consultation form here or chat to me. And all of my coaches have business WhatsApp, so they can chat to them there as well. Um, So, and then when they sign up, we've got a really comprehensive like questionnaire for them to fill in before they even get started um so even if like they've still got some stuff to work through from the original emails like they'll do their consult form and then say when for example steph is filling out her startup form they've still got stuff to work through um and then they've got the team podcast that they get redirected to that comes out twice a week so they get all of that stuff too i think it's all just about for us we just want to nurture as strong a relationship as possible. Like one of my business values is connection. It's one of my top three values personally and business. And so I, when I'm making these decisions about sales or about people signing up, it's like, how can we foster connection before someone's even started up so that they know when they start working with the team, they're part of this community. Cause it's one of the core things with someone's yeah. relationship with food. And I love how you use the the podcast and even like this answer is better than the previous one because you're saying like each coach has their own unique. So it's like, maybe I just want to write to me or maybe they've got their own podcast and stuff like that. So I really like, like you, you're not creating a form where it's like, can you afford X amount per day to invest in your thing? And if it's like, no, then it's like, well, you can't even book a call in with us. And yeah. like you're actually still providing value before you even have a, a conversation with them. And I guarantee put money on it put my life on it i put my life on it that you and all of the coaches have the the consultation calls so all of your coaches are doing the, the sales calls as such and mm-hmm. i guarantee your sign up rate is going to be a lot higher than i'm going to slide into your instagram i'm going to follow you and when you follow me back i'm going to slide into your dms and start going so what's your fitness goals for this year and blah 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 like and this yeah. all goes goes back to the whole thing as in you're so your brand is so strong and you're, you have such a very specific target market or niche that you don't need to do any of these tactics that other people need to do because you're putting it, you've been putting in the work for years and years and you're, you're building the, the brand. If you build a brand, you don't need to do this. Can you afford this? Can you afford that? You don't mm-hmm. need to be really salesy on the calls. It, and I guarantee your sign up rates and that's like where we had it at SBS. They were, and it's not even a joke. They were ninety percent. Uh, we would like get people if they had a consultation. It would be ninety percent because of the content we put out, because of the branding, um, and just just the way it was. Like we we already they already know that ETPHD is the right option for them. Mm-hmm. They just want that little bit of clarification just to make sure they know what they're getting. They want to speak to the coach that they're, yeah. they're going to be getting. And that's yeah. all that call is really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's this kind of misconception that you can give out too much free stuff, too much free value. And it's just ludicrous. I think, you. I mean, you can build a business in, in the way of like the kind of 
um, slide into DMs and trying to cold sell in that sense. Or you can build the business by saying, I'm going to give you as much as I possibly can for free. And then when you're ready for that one-to-one -one support, I have enough faith in my abilities that I can offer you more than what I give you on Instagram. And I think like that's so important. And actually, IFSM and I were talking about the difference between women and men when it comes to marketing as a coach and a personal trainer. Women can't do it the same way that men can do it. There's this thing called the competency likability bias and it's like the more powerful um, and assertive and confident a woman appears to be, the less she is liked by men and women. And on the flip side, the more confident and assertive a man is, the more he is liked. So if you're a woman trying to sell your business, if you're trying to be kind of calling people out on social media, you're like, you're calling people the C word, you're aggressively marketing yourself, it doesn't really work. It doesn't really resonate with people. You have to think about it in a different way. And as much as I don't like the reality, like that's what we know from the research, right? It's not, a, and it's not a men thing. It's a everyone thing. Um, so you have yeah. to think about, well, what what makes me approachable? Why would someone want to work with me? It's not because I'm cold hearted and I'm trying to sell to them all the time. It's because they can see that I care enough to give them free stuff every day and give them something free that they can use. Yeah, they say I don't I don't do anything for free, but I'm like, well, when you post on Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is, and you're spending time creating those, doing your little captions on CapCut and uploading it, I'm like, well, what are you getting paid to do that? Are you? Oh no, you're you're creating content for free. So I'm like, you just yeah. So you're using Typeform, you're using Calendly. Those sort of emails that go out, are you? What are you using software-wise for that? Is that Candy or is that another piece of software? No, that's just Google. Um, so one of my coaches, Georgia, her sister is like some Google Mail, Gmail genius. And so you can just set it up on Gmail that it's just an automatic chain. Every few days they get a new email. Nice. So then, therefore, it is not coming from ActiveCampaign, Aweber, like other email service providers, it's coming directly from the Gmail, so it feels a lot more personal. And that's the thing, I feel like it, you might, a lot of people won't know that e like email service providers, the people that you're maybe as your, your clients and that they can un unsubscribe. But um, it's more from a deliverability point of view as well. So like if it comes actually from a Gmail rather than an email service provider, it's gonna have a much higher probability of not going into the spam or the promotions tab, et cetera. So that's that's really interesting. So I'm assuming that George's did you say sister or Yeah, I think yeah, sister. Uses Zapier. P possibly. So that's good. Poss yeah. Do you use Zapier or not? No, I use MailChimp. But then how are the emails getting sent? What do you mean? There must be some automation. If you're setting up like five days worth of emails and the, the <laughs> trainer's not manually doing those, they're going out automatic, correct? Yeah, but there's a, but, a, but no, but I think it's, it's an automatic thing on Gmail, like directly on okay. Gmail. It's from what, from what they said to me, like, I don't do that because again, I take on five clients a year max. So I don't do that, but yeah, it's apparently so all done on do Gmail. <laughs> Listen, oh, delegation is key. I need to speak to Georgia. <laughs> yeah, delegation. Uh, um, <laughs> so you got... You're not even you're using Canadly, Gmail, Typeform. They sign up. What payment gateway are you using? So I use Apotheo, which is linked to Stripe. So um, okay. I Apotheo is like quite a holistic platform that we've or I've always used. It's not the cheapest platform, mm -hmm. but it allows 
it, when I first started coaching, I was like, I don't want people to be tracking. What can I do? Every other app was like, nutrition was tracking macros. There was no space for kind of more intuitive eating styles. So Apotheo is really good for that. Um, so we use that and it's all synced up to Stripe and that's, that's fine. Anything that minimises my impact on technology is great. I don't want to be involved in anything like that. I can't. So Apotheo's the like coaching software, it's like the My PT Hub or the, the Stridus yeah. version of that, and that just links up with Stripe as the payment gateway. And then that's where the actual coaching's delivered on that piece of software. Yep, exactly that. Um they've just signed up, they get re-diet, well they they complete an in-depth analysis form. So yep. you're finding out more information. What's the next yep. sort of steps? So it's a super detailed, like it's very detailed consultancy form around their training, their nutrition, food diary, health, previous experience, injuries, etc. All of the above. And then they submit that and then the turnaround time is a maximum of seven days because our co our initial startups are quite comprehensive. So they get a seven day turnaround, which is usually a couple of days realistically. And They'll get their starter form. So we have a starting document that is like a PDF document that is obviously tailored to them with kind of the basics of our brand. So though it's all the nutrition education, like all basic stuff and how we think about food. It's really basic stuff around our core pillars of my brand, which is things like mindful eating, compassion, um, emotional regulation. Like there's some basic stuff there. Now we probably over deliver and it's probably not great to be totally honest in terms of how much information we give initially. We give a lot in this. Mm -hmm. It's a Canva document, but PDF document that's created on Canva. Yeah. And they'll get that straight away and they'll also get their apotheo kind of setup. So an apotheo will store their habits, their training programs, their nutrition programs, etc. So they'll get both. They'll get the apotheo link and the, the Canva document. And then what happens is Obviously, they'll get back to us with any questions, but they'll get an automatic, an automatic check-in two days later from Apotheo, like a message to see how things are going. And then they'll do their check-in usually within the next week and it'll be their first comprehensive check-in. Um, and then if they if they have a programme that involves calls, so some of our clients do calls, some don't, then they'll get that direct link as well through Calendly and Apotheo links up with Calendly so they can book calls through that as well. So Apotheo would be education-wise, are you drip-feeding content on that, that first 30 days? Because I know obviously you've got yeah. a podcast before they've signed up and you're sort of drip-feeding content as it goes. And that's all within the software, like it will send notifications, emails, etc. Yeah. So do you know what I find, I've found recently with coaches a lot is that people are over-delivering education. And I say that as someone who is a lecturer and who gives out a lot of education. I think there's been this push to overcomplicate. I'm going to do this course on mindfully and I'm going to do this course on, I don't know, whatever it may be. And the, and coaches are spending so much time putting out these education courses for their clients. And when there's that much, you know yourself, you don't watch any of it because it's just too much. It's too, yeah. it's just hours and hours of stuff. And it's like people want one-to-one -one coaching. They want directed to the education yeah. when it's required. So we have an education page, like a resources portal on Apotheo that has hundreds of kind of self-compassion homeworks or mindful eating homeworks that we will give to our clients, but we give them on a specific basis. So if they're three weeks in and they're saying, I'm such an asshole, I've not stuck to anything, I really can't do it. I'm like, gosh, you really need some self-compassion work here. I would love for you to go and yeah. read this specific one. It's in this folder. Go and read that. It takes 20 minutes. Let me know how it goes next week. And that's that's how we do it. Because otherwise, 
you sign up to these coaches and then you've got like 50 different courses that you could go through and you think, I'm not doing that right now. That's just too much. And then you never get around to it. Yeah. So it's building like a, a library of, like you said, with your podcast twice a week, frequently asked questions. It's going, right, I'm going to build a resource for that. And you're building that resource, building that resource. And the key thing here is the word coaching. It's like you're going, this person needs to watch these three-part series or that person needs to listen to this podcast or this person needs to do this or whatever it is, rather than just going, everyone, day two, you're going to get my how to eat at guides. <laughs> and day four, you're going to get this. And mm. we, we, see, we see it all the time, like personal trainers. It's like, oh, I know. I feel like most personal trainers need to slow the fuck down and just perfect one thing rather mm. than going, actually inflation's high i'm going to create a membership site with your 300 instagram followers that only 10 people are going to see it and it's like people clients do not want education first they want coaching first and you're basically just using education to assist and aid the ability to coach so you're not literally repeating yourself over and over again because you the the theory and the education is the education but it's known how to coach that individual mm -hmm. and you're using the education as secondary coaching as first but as you said like people don't want to pay money to learn about something. They want to pay money to be coached. And then the education is just secondary to the primary thing, which is coaching. So much that, like totally hit the nail on the head. And I think it's because there's so much shiny stuff. Like you can see a new a new app's been developed for coaching and it lets you do all these things. And you yeah. see other coaches doing X, Y, and Z. So you think, oh, they've got, they've got this thing. So I need to do that too. And it's like, no. Like you are the magic, you are the coach, you are what people are buying into, and yeah, and any sort of look at any sort of coaching research. Person centered coaching is what gets best results. Person centered means the client is the expert, the client is the directive. They tell you what they need. You just you can just hear that and go, okay, let's direct them and move them through this. Not this is my sixteen week program of after week one you get this, week two you get this because that will work for two people, but it won't work for the other two. Or the other five yeah i feel like as well it's looking at yeah, everyone needs to raise their game and like in i used to, when i started online coaching in 2012 i was like well we actually get better results and provide a better service than an in-person personal trainer because they only care about beasting you in the gym for an hour where you're like you're gonna get a weekly check-in you're gonna get your whole program you're gonna get nutrition advice you're gonna get this and i feel like it's good because everyone's sort of raising their game but then again it's it's mixing, it's having sort of that personalization and trying not to, like you can try and automate, automate stuff that is going to be consistent across every single person. As in, this is our, our method of coaching. But then it, when it comes to, oh, I'm just going to create a, an automation or autoresponder and everyone's just going to get it. And I feel like I've probably fell into that trap of just like, because education's there, but I feel like, you just need to signpost rather than just deliver it for the sake of it and create mm -hmm. this overwhelm. Because most of the clients are probably going to have overwhelm anyway and be like, oh my God, I've got to learn this, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And I'm a firm believer of doing, being lazy. I like being lazy. And what I mean by that is like, do the minimal amount of things that you need to do to achieve the goal that you're looking to achieve. That's yeah. just, lazy is also being efficient rather than yeah. disrupting everything. So I really like how, and I suppose based on that, it's the software is then key then. So you're not getting, you, as you said, you're mounting, you have mounting, but you're not getting them through going drip feed every single piece of content. Everyone's getting it. Maybe the first week when you're talking about more of the admin side of things, like how the, the coaching process works. But after that, it's having good enough coaches 
to be able to read the situation and then being able to know this person needs that and yeah. they probably don't need that. Even though this is what I thought they was going to do, I'm going to change the direction slightly. Exactly, exactly. And and it look and it's also important to look at like your business model and your business values again, right? Like I said, my business one of my core business values is connection. I want my clients to feel like I know them. I want my coaches to feel like they have connection with their clients, which is why I scaled in the way that I did. I didn't scale my business. I could have looked at someone like Emma Story Gordon who scaled in a totally different way, who predominantly does group coaching, predominantly but not totally, and excels at that. But she does that in a totally different way than the way that I scaled my business because of the type of work that I do. And it's so easy to look at other coaches and think, how do, like, I should do it like that. But I want to be super personal. Like, again, like, other coaches I see who are, you know, there are certain people in the industry who are trying to just outsource everything and to automate everything. And it's like, aren't you a coach because you love working with people? Aren't you a coach because you love that connection? And you want to see that person achieve, not because you keep that as a means to make money. As soon as we start seeing our clients as a means to an end of making us money, our coaching services like exponentially drops off because it's like, no, we're here to make impact. We're here to, to provide value, not we're here to use you as a way to fill our bank balances. Yeah. And you scaled just as in, like ASG will have group coaching, so the target market will be different. Uh, and she would know that the success rate, like you, you've got 200 people and it's group coaching. There's some, maybe there is personalization, maybe there isn't. Maybe it's just, I sort of say with group coaching, it's very much goal, like the, the target is goal target rather than like person target, like personalization. And you just, it's just, even without looking at statistics, like you just won't get a massive success rate like you would working with someone one-to-one. And that's why the price of your service is this and the price of the group coaching is that. And I, I don't think any of them are better than others as such, but I definitely feel like you do need to work out what is it that you would like to do with your business. And you've taken on six to seven coaches now. So personal trainers that are listening to this, most of them as well, even though you see all this like six, seven figure business gurus and stuff like that. When we did the PT coaching pilot, most of them wanted to, work less sessions um, and probably earn a little bit more money. They didn't want massives. Like there's plenty of other careers or industries. If you just want to make money, there's better industries for that. Um, when you're looking at, or how did you go from taking on coaches, like the process of the interview? And uh, because when I looked at SBS, the hard thing for me was, that was my baby. That was my brand. And even with you of having your name on it, like the acronym is how did you sort of overcome the the thing of you doing everything to then being able to take other coaches on and sort of how did that process look um from hiring perspective it's so tough because you're totally right the first time i took someone on was anna and she's been with me for like three years now or something like that and i remember asking her at a conference we were both at and i was shaking and i was nervous and i was like am i doing the right thing here um but she'd been a client of mine she'd been a client of one of my first ever clients and so i knew her really well she had a similar background to me she used to compete she did a nutrition qualification at the time that i rated and um so i, I really respected her and i'd basically for six months i'd be kind of been grooming her i'd been saying like you know what do you want to do with your pt business and i kind of kept planting seeds yeah. and i was pushing her without her realizing why I was doing that. I was doing it for her benefit too. So that by the time I said, do you want to work with me as a coach? Let's try this. 
I trusted, I fully trusted her. And that was a really quite an easy hire for me because she came on, she is very similar to me and she became kind of like, she is very much similar to me. So I trusted it. Anything she put out was meticulous and it was great. And then I think over the subsequent years, I took, I took on another coach, a male coach. It didn't work out. He... Do you know what? Like for me, you need to have a couple of things. You need to have the same values and the same work ethic in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, and those things just didn't quite match up in that situation. So that didn't work out. Um, but then since then, I've taken on the, the other girls and Georgia was a client of mine. So again, I tr- really trusted her. I already wow. knew her. She did yeah. a good qualification. But the other girls weren't. The other girls had all done EIQ nutrition. So that's for us. Emma and I both feel that with coaches we, it's kind of a validation process for us we kind of know right they've done EIQ we know they've got some basic knowledge there um, but for me when I took on the other five girls I've, I'd had interviews with them all and I wanted to take on one other coach and I met them all and I thought you're great you've got the same values you're great and I thought yeah. do you know what I'm just going to take a big risk here and take them all on that was only a year and a half ago and I thought if it doesn't work it doesn't work but I let them keep like their other jobs and their other coaching so that they weren't 100% relying on me for money at that time so I, the, the pressure was slightly off but I like a bit of pressure and I thought the way that I love like I find my value in helping them as coaches now I'm very much like I'm building my brand for them as well as me um and so yeah. I think that's slightly different. And some people take on coaches again as a means to make themselves more money. I've had this conversation with someone else in the industry who was trying to build a brand, and they were taking on coaches and they weren't lasting. They weren't doing the work. They weren't doing what they wanted them to do. And I was like, it just reads like you just want them to make your money. You're getting them in to do like your lackey yeah. work. You're getting them in to do like the the group stuff that you don't really like to do, maybe. And that's why they probably don't care. Whereas. I want my girls to succeed. I take a, a cut of, I take some money from them because I need to survive. But it's not, an un, like I really am here to invest in them as people, knowing that it will give my brand a good name, but also because I really care about them. And so I think you need to look at shared values. Like that's the most important thing and really invest in, are you willing to invest in that person? If you want to build a brand in the similar way that I did, like you have to think, do I care about this person as a person as opposed to just as a means of making me money? I think. Yeah. That's what I did with SBS. There was, we had three coaches and then we hit capacity and we uh, stopped posting on social media, like a Facebook page at the time. And then I think Steve Hall, Bruno, can't remember who else it was. Hey? I saw somewhere, it was like, oh, we want to be like the free DMJ of the UK. And I was like, no, you fucking ain't. So I just put a post out, which was like, we're looking for free coaches. There was no waiting list. There was nothing. We went through, the, went through the process and the first thing was like, I think at the time it was like send a CV, but with like a, a, a like cover letter. And then once I looked at that, I think we had like 100 applicants. It was just like drop that down to like 30 odd people. And then it was like, right, I want you to create a Facebook post. And um, here's two different case studies. I just want you to send over like how you would program for them, like, and then maybe some nutrition advice. Then shortlisted them again. Then did the interview, asked the same questions, had like a scoring category, um, had six interviews. They were all really good. So I just took on six coaches. <laughs> so I had no waiting list, no nothing. And it was like, there was no, there was a, yeah, it was like, there was no waiting list. We hadn't posted for a while because it made this, the mistake of what most people do is like, once you hit your client capacity, you stop providing that value. But then once one client drops or another client drops, you're like, oh, I've not done anything for the last few months. And I need, I need new clients now. It, it doesn't work. So then, yeah, with that, it was, 
I definitely feel like if you can, f that, so that was probably like a four week process for that. Um, but it's interesting. You said like two of them were clients and then, then what I want to finish the podcast on is obviously EIQ, um, where the other clients come from that. And that's, I know you created the curriculum, was it at the university? You created the curriculum for, was it, did you say Manchester Uni or? Yeah, so Manchester Met, Manchester Metropolitan, I, cre I wrote the undergraduate sport nutrition course and then I wrote the postgrad sport nutrition course there as well. So I'd done all the, and I used to teach at, at Shrewsbury, which was another postgrad nutrition course for medics. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'd written programs and stuff before and then, yeah, it worked really well with Emma because she, she's she been in the industry a hell of a lot longer than me and she's exceptional at, at navigating this industry. So combined, it worked really well. Like my PhD background and, and uni background and her just incredible business and um, applied background to, to make it. This is, the, this is like the evidence stuff and this is how you apply it and this is actually why it matters. Um, and so yeah with with that now I know that she's the same we wouldn't unless it was a specific situation we wouldn't take on a coach that hadn't done EIQ because it just it just beatles people that's your staff training yeah it? yeah pretty much just going right if you go through that and you pass this exam and you know you've built the course you've put your values within the course because your values your personal values uh, it's going to be really hard to have a company that has different values than your personal values so therefore whether it's your one-to-one -one coaching whether it's eiq whether it's level up events like your values will will breathe into your other businesses and ventures like that so you're you're using eiq to and that's the thing what we, we look like sps academy like you pass the sps academy then it's like well at the time we stopped doing the coaching anyway but that would have been for us a filter into going well we know you know your shit um so you're not you don't have to go you don't have to question their sort of fear feeling as you're just then looking at do they have the same values and then are they going to be able to fit within and i suppose the more coaches you have every time you bring a new coach in it's like they need to, are they going to get on with the other the other girls within the organization so um mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's yeah right. it's tough but i think i think you just have to be willing to invest in people and i think that's just what we get so wrong like you have to be willing to invest in the people that you work with as a, because you care not because they make you money I just don't think we're doing that enough. Do you feel like you manage them? Or it's like they just manage themselves because you've just picked the right people? Um, I think, I don't like to think of myself as a manager. I think a bit, like I mentor them. I think I prefer yeah. that. Um, I don't micromanage any of them. They don't need me to do it. They're like, they're self-employed and, and they're excellent at that. And so they all manage their own mm -hmm. stuff. But they always know that I'm here if they need anything and I, and I mentor them in that way with like regular mentoring meetings and stuff. Nice. So thank you very much for coming back on the podcast. It didn't freeze at all. Like it, everything worked perfect. Well, let's fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> but obviously our listeners are personal trainers. So if they do want to, I know EIQ, you do cohorts at the moment. So whenever you're listening to this podcast, you may listen to this in like two, three years time and maybe that, that's changed. But where's best for them to find out more about EIQ nutrition and then also your level up events? Yep. Yeah, so the best place. How many more you're looking to do in the future? They are going to be irregular, I think. Um, so best place is EIQnutrition.com or the Instagram is EIQ underscore nutrition or level up events, which is um, on Instagram. It's just at level up events underscore 
Um, but it's on my Instagram too, which is Amelia Thompson PhD. So just in case I got that one wrong. Perfect. Anything else you want to add, Amelia, before we go? Or are you good? I think, I think I'm good. Yeah, I think I'm good. Nice. Well, very thank comprehensive. you very much. Thank you. And our listeners, if you haven't subscribed yet or liked or rated the podcast, make sure you do. Definitely check out Amelia and all of her businesses. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks.